As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is our Thursday edition and I am Adam Leventhal, your host and with me today is John. How are you? I'm all good. I'm ready. I'm looking forward to some back to football again. I'm looking forward to another away trip. I'm, I'm ready for three massive games in the Premier League. Wowzers. Right, okay, this is sort of set up for the uh, the positive <laughs> optimism. And also joining me is Mike. How are you, Mike? Uh, I'm just enjoying life while it's still the cricket season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good. I'm really good. Loving the weather. And yes, we'll see how we are on uh, how I am on six o'clock on, on Saturday afternoon, shall we, before I go too overboard. Absolutely. Uh, let's just run you through um, what's going to be coming up on this week's edition. And thank you, by the way, at the very top of the shop for all the questions that you've sent in. And we will try and get through as many topics um, as possible. Uh, we're going to be talking about reconnecting with Watford after the international break because there's been plenty of newsy things that have happened uh, in the interim period between the last game against Tottenham, obviously. We discussed what happened in the transfer window and we pretty much put a full stop to that, but there's a few things that have bled through. Then we're going to be focusing on the four games that we've got until the next bloody international break, which really does... I don't know. It's such a stop-start nature to the to the initial phase of the of the season, which is really frustrating, and it, it never sort of gets any easier to get through. So we'll be we'll just be picking apart um, some of the games that are coming up. There's some winnable games in there. We'll also be hearing from Tim Spears, who is our dedicated uh, Wolves reporter on the Athletic. He's a really good bloke as well. So we'll be hearing from him um, just about how he thinks Wolves have started and how they are viewing the game coming up against Watford. And also we'll be focusing on the article that dropped on Wednesday morning on The Athletic, which was the new link with Odisha FC in India. It happened last week. It happened on uh, the day after deadline day, but I've just spent a little bit of time digging into it and we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. But let's deal with the situation that is on the tip of many people's tongues. And that is, is Francisco Ciaralta going to be able to play against Wolves? We know that he didn't travel and didn't play for Chile because he was following the rules regarding red list countries. And as far as he was concerned, he was doing the right thing. But subsequent to that, we had the whole fiasco with Brazil and Argentina and various different countries that didn't get the players that they wanted playing for their national sides have complained to FIFA. Chile is one of them alongside um, Brazil. And as it stands... And let's just set this straight right from the start. As it stands, Ciralta will not be playing against Wolves unless the situation, which is fluid, does change. Now, that is, that is a big frustration, isn't it, boys? Because he came back, he played so well, and we almost just wanted to be able to kick, kick on now with our, with our 
our sort of premium defensive unit, which had done so well last season in that sort of impregnable defence. Mike, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big frustration, this, if he is indeed going to be missing on Saturday. First off, premium defensive unit. You do realise this is a Watford podcast, Adam. Um, yeah, it is. And it was interesting. You mentioned at the, at the top of the show, they're reconnecting with Watford. And one of the things that I was thinking about going into this Wolves game and this clutch of very important games is that, it, you know, a question, does our season start here, really? Is this where the real business starts? We've got to know the team a little bit more. We've We've seen a little bit more of what they're capable of. But, you know, there's another fly in the ointment, isn't it? And it and it, it just shows, I think, the backdrop against which we're still playing football. Everyone is desperate to get back to normal. But the reality is clearly that we're still quite a long way away from that, aren't we? And if you look further down the line, there's a, there's a World Cup in the middle of the season next year, which is going to cause further issues that I'm sure... Um, we'll we'll understand more as the, as the time gets closer, but it's it is fr- so frustrating as we just it feels like we're scrabbling around trying to get back to that situation where we're watching our team with a full stadium and a full squad to choose from. Is it too much to ask? And it seems like it it is, doesn't it? And it's I guess it's kind of the medicine that we have to take almost literally um, to 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 claw our way back to some sort of. Of reality, but I can imagine if you're if you're Cisco or the the Watford hierarchy, you must be absolutely pulling your hair out. Incredibly frustrating. He did play two great games. We know what he did before, but it does. You know, I, I'm not as desperate about it. I feel like we do have the right other you know players to go in there. They are part of the system. They are part of what was a unit for a long time. But I'm not. I'm not as fussed about it. I think. It's disappointing, but I don't think I'm quite as fussed as you are. I don't think it it has to be a a big issue, but it's obviously something that a lot of people are talking about. And when I put the the shout out for people to send in their questions, it was one of the sort of hot topics because we start to sort of reconnect with the the team news and and what's going to happen and and start to look forward to, to the games again. That's basically all we really need to say about Francisco Sierralta. What it will answer, Ad and, and John, is the question about going in with four centre-backs. Some people have sort of said, well, that doesn't really feel like enough at the end of the transfer window. It felt they're saying that four centre-backs feels like a bit of a gamble. DCW is quite vocal in our, in our WhatsApp group saying that he feels four is, is perfectly ample. And I guess the question is, have we got four good enough if something like this happens, so a suspension or an injury to Sierra Alta or the, someone of the key performance? So I think it... It's frustrating, but also an interesting early test to see how well stocked we are in in that department as we as we move on. I think it's it'd be fascinating to see how we get on. We'll discuss it a little bit more about what we want to see in terms of the actual lineup in these four games. But I did want to just sort of square off some of the other issues because I, men- I mentioned Adam Messina there. Obviously, he went away with Morocco. Uh, Imran Luza was also with with Morocco as well. And that was one of the other sort of newsy aspects of this international window, which had an impact on on Watford. The fact that they were caught in a in a coup, effectively, um, in Guinea, which sounded like a very frightening experience. Obviously, they were they were able to to get out and get out safely, which was fantastic in the end the fact that they weren't sort of holed up too long and and feeling terrified and as I understand it there was some distance to where the actual fighting was was taking place but I think that we'll we'll be able to learn over the over the coming days now that they're sort of back in at Watford's uh, Watford's training ground and back amongst the group exactly what happened the impact that it had because you know we've seen international players I'm you know thinking about Emmanuel Adebayor for example who went away and and had a, a horrific time with with Togo and and things like that so you know th- these things can happen forget about you know covid and all the disruption that that can cause you know we've seen things unfolding in all sorts of all sorts of countries at, at the moment including sort of governmental change and all that sort of stuff international football does just sort of carry on regardless and and you know these players are being asked to not only play domestic football but international football as, as well and and they can encounter these these pretty sort of wretched situations and of course the the player who's had the most harrowing time of it over the international break has been uh, Dan Backman he let a goal in against Scotland it was a penalty it was a penalty <laughs> but he, but, he kicked but all close to it didn't he <laughs> he did. He readjusted and managed, almost managed yeah. to, to get his hand to get it away. But yeah, all, all joking aside, it, it, it's obviously 
incredibly sobering and I think all our thoughts are obviously with those guys and the fact that they're out safely but hopefully they can they can get back and it hasn't been too much of a knock on their confidence it hasn't been too draining in terms of the whole experience just you know taking it out of you which it we almost certainly will and you know these things can have a quite a profound impact on people in terms of when you look at the wider world and the things that are happening on a daily basis you know we're talking about our tiny little part of the enormous of the enormous footballing world well there's a much much bigger world with global issues that like you say I just do not stop and I think sometimes when footballers get caught up in them there it's a good good opportunity to look at that juxtaposition at just how important what a football is in the grand scheme of things and I think yeah our hopes that those guys are, are all right mentally and physically and and ready to to do their job but uh just an incredible story and um yeah I'm sure we'll we'll hear more from them in the in the coming days and weeks as to as to what that was like just a, and a valuable reminder I think sometimes is there's a big old world out there with some bad old stuff happening and uh yeah, just a, a window into that, isn't it? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. So that's what's been happening international-wise. And I think we're all very much looking forward to getting back to the, the bread and butter of domestic football. Wolves at home, Norwich away. Then you've got Stoke in the Carabao Cup and Ben Wilmot returning. And then Newcastle at home before the next international break. We basically just need to get to the crux of it now that these three games in the Premier League are going to have to reap some points to ensure that by the next international break, we're not talking about any worries for Shisco Munoz. And that might sound like an inappropriate thing to say, but... The reason we are highlighting it is because Wolves, Norwich and Newcastle are games that previously, 2019-20 is jumping straight into my mind, we would have burnt through and those were opportunities lost. To really set our stall out for this season, we need to be picking up, I don't want to put necessarily a number on it, but we need to be picking up at least three more points in these next three games to have been able to show something and show some progress as well Mike from your point of view you're sort of focusing now on this as a as a as a body of three Premier League games are you excited by it are you enthused by it are you feeling positive heading into these games considering you know we've moved on from you know an era with with Troy Deeney we've we've lost a lot of players that have, have now left the building this is a fresh start to really sort of hit the ground running isn't it yeah, I am. I am infused, and I am positive, and certainly more positive than I was at the at the start of the season, where uncertainty reigned, didn't it? Really, I think we've seen enough from uh, from a, a group of players that this is a this is a, a squad with lots of potential, and I think the new look squad with the departures over the transfer window and those that have come in, this is a lean and really interesting and and quite exciting, dare I say it, squad. That didn't last too long, the complete optimism. Now the sort of the slight fear in the football fan in me is this is the time really that will define our season, I think. There is no hiding place in, in these games. Wolves, I think, is a little bit of an anomaly starting on, on zero points. They haven't won. Their performances have been better than their results perhaps suggest. But Norwich and Newcastle will be looking at us and thinking we have to take points off them in exactly the way that we're looking at them and saying we've got to take points off them because we have. Uh, I think they're as close to cup tie style games as you can get in a in a league season. Norwich is away from home, but I don't think that matters in this instance. We have to go there 
and get something. If we can come out of this clutch of games with perhaps five or six points, we're almost a quarter of the way there to what we need. But if we don't, where are those? There's making up to do. I'm excited in as much as I think we can get good results, nervous in as much as we need good results. But that's what all, it's all about in the Premier League, isn't it? I, I look at, again, we talked about this on another podcast. We talked about the schedule uh, and the fact that we have got some mean games coming up. And it's, it's just making sure that this start to the season, you know, it's like the second start to the season, that, that we are on the, on the right foot. And these are absolutely defining games. I'm not scared going into any of them. Uh, I'm, I'm more confident than Michael. That's not hard. Um, and I just think that the big advantage is that two of these games are at home. Every game I've seen on television, all the games I've been at, that home feeling at the beginning of a game certainly gives a, a, a lift to things. And I think that's going to be our, our biggest advantage. Like I said, there's, there's points to be won. I, I, don't, I still don't feel if we... Let's say we only got three points, like three draws or a loss and only two draws. I still don't think Cisco is, is going to be up for the, for the chopping block. As long as what's happening on the pitch is sort of a continuation. You know, we, we haven't really talked about Cisco in any great matter. I think come the next international break, we will be because we will see what he will do with the players he's been given. We know what we sort of expect from him, from what he did when he first came in the club, to be this lovely cheerleader to bring all these players together. And hopefully that's what he's doing with what I suspect to be a pos- more positive changing room, purely because the, you know, the, the players that were relegated are gone. You know, the majority of them are gone. And a lot of the negativity, particularly around Andre Gray, you know, that sort of negativity and those players that we knew were going to be around the fringes or maybe stuck within the 23s, that's gone. It's got to be a happier place. It's got to be a place where he's going to be at his ultimate for what he can do as a manager. And I think that's only going to come through. If that doesn't happen, maybe then I'll start worrying. Yeah, and I, I agree with all that, John. But what, what it also means is that a lot of excuses have been removed. So yeah. he's oh, now yeah. got yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, a lean, mean squad with with potential troublemakers, potential big um, potential big characters missing and people with a point to prove, people who will expect to have a long and successful career at the top flight. So he's got a decent squad at his disposal. So there's no excuses. You know, we've talked about Sierra Alta and unfortunately his hands are tied in, in matters like that. But also there is added pressure in as much as who we're, who we're facing because lose to Norwich and we've kick-started their season, lose to Newcastle and we've kick-started their season, beat them and we've got a, a gap on them already, a sizable gap. We know how difficult it is to recover. As Adam, Adam mentioned earlier, we know how difficult it is if you burn through games and have a poor start. If we're beating them, they will have had the start that we suffered in, this, in, a, in, our, in our fateful season where we got relegated. So if we can impose that on someone else, it's massive, um, as, well as, as well as being positive for us. So we, it can almost be a hammer blow to the opposition. And I think that these games really will have been identified as just crucial. I don't think there's any way of getting around it. Every way you look at it, every way you slice it, they are they are massive games for whoever wins them. I think there's some there's some key issues as well that will be a lot clearer by the end of it regardless of the results. It may well be that it goes, you know, particularly badly in terms of results, but the performances are actually quite positive. I mean, that sounds a bit odd to sort of view it that way. But but do you know what I mean? If 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 Watford are actually moving in the right direction, with the squad flexing its muscles and get beaten by a goal here or there, or you know involved in a classic or whatever it is, then it's it's really important that the performances are moving in the right direction. And we will learn a lot about this squad now that it has been subbed down, slimmed down, as as we've been talking about. I think if we if we start from the back and, and head up to the front, in goal it will be interesting. I think Daniel Backman has, has done enough so far to sort of kick on being number one. But there will be you know, there will be a point if if goals do start to fly in that, that Ben Foster will be breathing down his neck. And that's what you want. You want competition in, in goal. But I think more of the issues are, are further forward in the pitch. In particular, it would be great in this period of time. My sense is that, that Kiko Femenia has been sort of held back from this point to just give him that extra time because we've seen him 
Previously, I remember in the in the 1920 season, he was struggling with with fatigue and things like that, and you know he was sort of pushed back and he was playing when he was a little bit injured and and here there and everywhere. He, he's bound to be tired if he was playing in 1920, Adam. That's over a hundred years. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh. It wouldn't be a podcast without a really rubbish joke. Carry on. Yeah, quite no, it's, good, it's, good. It's, it's, it's great to have you on board. Um, so in terms, in terms of, I think what everyone would like to see is two fullbacks playing in the, in the fullback positions. And obviously that means Kiko Femenia and potentially, and this isn't sort of a slight on, on Adam Messina, but seeing someone who is vastly experienced like Danny Rose playing as your starting left back. There are a few things that need to happen before that is sort of set in stone. But I think that is the ideal scenario. Obviously, there will be concerns about heading in the other direction, especially with with Femenir, because he didn't have a great time uh, in the the last Premier League season. Hopefully, the, the championship experience will have really helped him. And also, he will be thinking, well, no, look, I'm also playing with Ishmael Assar in front of us. I'm on the side that the opponents are really fearful of. Yeah. So let's impose ourselves and let's really get that ticking because we haven't seen that combination. And you'll even remember, you know, in, in the 1920 season, which was two seasons ago, Mike, that <laughs> it was it was something that really, really sort of came together. And it's a real shame that that couldn't sort of pull us out of the, the situation that we eventually found ourselves in. So I think that's a, one of the key subplots. Obviously, we, we will be looking at, you know, the, the absence of Sierra Alta against Wolves. As, as it stands, and seeing how the centre-halves deal with things. But then, obviously, there are other departments that will be freshened up as well. And maybe we can sort of talk in, in a bit more detail about the, the midfield situation, because one of the guys that we didn't mention who was away with you know, his international side and we haven't seen in a Watford shirt yet is Ozan Tufan. And it will be fascinating to see how the combination is sort of set out in midfield. Is it going to be, you know... Thibaut, Kutska, Loser, Cleverly, Tufan, uh, Gosling. Well, let's have them all. Can we have them all? Is that possible? Is it gonna, Can I we think, just have them I all on the pitch? I think the new FIFA, FIFA directive is <laughs> saying right, that yes. if you've had a player ruled out, you can actually feel five players Good. regardless of the other departments. <laughs> it's the part I'm excited about just because the way you just talk about all those players, I know... We, we, and the good thing is you only talk about one that we haven't seen. He is exciting because he hasn't kicked the ball and we've seen lots of goals from outside the box, which, you know, seeing what people are excited about, that's what they're excited about, maybe seeing that happen. But I think for me, it's the fact that we have a luxury of, you know, just so many riches in that midfield that whatever happens, you know, we're talking about the defence and maybe if this happens and maybe this player's left out. There are options and they're all high quality players. And when you put Dan Gosling, who played fantastic at the end of last season... And you're putting him at the bottom of the list. Well, that's a good list. Much like I forgot Imran Loser in the last podcast, I forgot Musa Sissoko as well, who's yeah. probably going to be f- the first name on the team sheet fr- from now on as well. So Dan Gosling's even further back, but he's not a bad, <laughs> distant understudy, is he? So, no. yeah, I think that there, there are a lot of opportunities there. I mean, Mike, from your point of view, who would you want to see if, if it's going to be a 4-3-3 against Wolves? Who would you want to see as your your midfield three? So I, I, I'm with John in terms of how excited I am about how well stocked we are in in midfield. I was hugely infused by um, Kuchka's performance against Aston Villa, and I think we all saw how important he was by his absence in the Brighton game. Came back for Spurs, and all of a sudden we looked like a different team again, didn't we? The question I have over the midfield is where that little bit of guile comes from, where that that killer pass might come from. And surprisingly, I wonder if Kuchka might be the the answer to that because in watching him against Villa, he was keen to... He's, it's easy just to, to say he's that Barami character, the enforcer here, there and everywhere, not, not scared of a challenge. But equally, on top of that, I thought he was capable of picking the ball up, driving forward and looking to do something with it, not wasting the ball, really looking to, to get Watford ticking. And that is going to be so important. I remember under... Marco Silva in particular, when Watford were great, was transitioning from defence to attack. And we've kind of lost that a little bit. We've got it back with, with Saar down the down the wings. But we used to be so good at just getting it through the midfield and and starting an attack through the centre of the park. And we haven't been so good at that recently. So 
I, I think Kuchka is going to be key in that in that department. Surprisingly enough, Sissoko, in terms of his in terms of his experience, just going to be massive, isn't it? In terms of what what he's able to to provide. I'm talking a lot because that says I don't know what I, I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> That's a great point because we don't know what the answer is yet. So it gives us it gives us great positivity. It's it's like John, you said earlier on. It feels like another start to the season. It feels like a genuine start to a to a new era. And also with the slate having been wiped clean, I think John, as you mentioned, you know the fact that all the guys pretty much. I know there is a few left left by, but you're not burdened by a relegation too much. Your your mind doesn't think about relegation. It's like when when Watford came up um, fourteen fifteen into fifteen sixteen, and you sign someone like Berami or Etienne Capou. Their, their agenda doesn't deal with relegation. You know, Miguel Britos didn't come in thinking about relegation. Kike Sanchez Flores didn't come in and go, oh, well, we're going to get relegated. You know, it's it's about that mindset. It's about, well, you don't mention those words. Yes, there's going to be a fear, but there is also that sort of, I don't know, that confidence, that that sort of, those reserves of, of confidence that those players have, which makes it really ex- exciting. But that's the thing. Is you, we, you, we, we, I'm vibing. We're, we're tentative about the defence. We're let's see who you want to pick. Go for it. We're confident in that that midfield. But Adam, the the attack. It, there's more options there, but they're all very new. We haven't seen a lot of them. It, it, that's the bit that I've. Even though I say I don't know who I don't know exactly who the midfield three are going to be, I'm not worried about that. But when you say who's going to be the front three, I sort of go, I really don't know. And scoring the goals is the important thing. And it's the thing that we haven't necessarily done. And then I saw several people comment, well, we've signed all these players, but none of them have had particularly great runs in any side they've been in, scoring and banging in plenty of goals. Where are you? What's your, I mean, I don't know, the, the, your, your preferred or your must sort of plays for, for this, particularly these next three games against... Teams that are not the Manchester Cities, not the top teams. They're the, the teams that are meant to be down the bottom with us. What do you think? We, how do you think they're going to approach that that attacking three? What the most interesting thing is is the decision that is made on who is the the preferred number nine in that front three. Because if you look back to that first game, Emmanuel Dennis looked every bit the the number nine that Watford had wanted. And the combinations in particular on the on the break with, with Ishmael Assar. Yeah, obviously Saar was predominantly playing on the right hand side, and then you had Ken Semmer on the left, and he did a did a great job as well. But it, it seems as if almost now you've got Josh King coming in there, who is seemingly the the sort of the preferred number nine that we want to see score goals and want to sort of lead us forward. Um has that now sort of knocked that positivity that fresh start that we saw with Emmanuel Dennis has that pushed him out to the left but then again and you mentioned Kutska earlier on the combinations that Kutska had with Dennis on the left hand side in particular against Tottenham the way that they were breaking there was good interplay little flicks it led to a free kick and led to a burst into the box and things like that that you know there is there is that flexibility to have it's always going to be Sarah on the right but you could have Dennis and, and King flipping around if you, if you wanted to. You could have Semmer on the left. There's options there as well. But the main point, and that's sort of the, the crux of it, you need someone to make themselves undroppable because they're scoring yeah. goals. And on, I know that that's, that's the thing that is the basis of the restructuring of the striking department. That, yes, you've got rid of Troy Deeney, who would have probably chipped in with maybe 10 goals, predominantly maybe they might have been from from the penalty spot but he would have still caught, scored 10 goals and that's that is a hard thing to do in the premier league it would have been interesting to see the numbers of of Ismail Assar and João Pedro if they were able to take the penalties as well last you know last season Let, let's 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 be brutally honest about that but you know there are lots of opportunities it's about who picks up the baton now that we've got this fresh freshened up department and who goes yeah i'm the big man I'm the number nine. I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to sort of fill the boots of Troy Deeney, you know, Watford's number nine that's been there for eleven seasons. But I'm just gonna come in and go. I can score goals. 
and you can rely on me. That is basically what Watford needs. Cisco needs to get this right because we've played reasonably well in two out of the three games, but we still have only scored in, in one of them. And that game we scored in was, was as you rightly point out, that was when um, Ishmael Assar and Emmanuel Dennis were on absolute fire. Now, in defence of Josh King, when he's come in, he looked like a number nine to me. I like the way he holds himself. I like the way the positions he gets into. When he gets the ball, he's already, his body is always looking to mm. shape to move forward to get a shot off. So... That's a, it's a massive decision. Do we stick with him, who may well have been sold Watford on the back of playing in his preferred number nine? I think he's been p- played out wide elsewhere, hasn't he, in his, his career? Does he prefer it further down the middle? Or do we go with that proven sort of alchemy uh, that, that we've had in the first game? And I think we need to get it right quickly because the, these are players who are potentially quite fragile after, after how their careers have, have panned out in the last sort of 18 months, two years. And not only could they be fragile, but we could be very fragile if we don't get it right. So it's a massive, massive call for Cisco. I'm sure he'll be talking to the players, he'll be talking to the coaches. Um, but we need to start scoring goals. And uh, the, the call of how he deploys those three in particular, Saar, King and Dennis seem to me to be the, the three that you're going to start with. Because there's, there's Kucho to come in, he'll, he'll be knocking on the door and he'll be absolutely desperate to play after his exploding onto the scene against Villa. So Shisko has to get this right. And I think it's probably a harder choice than and more important choice than midfield. Because as John said, it kind of takes care of itself in midfield. Whoever you pick, you can probably get it right by a substitution or a little tinker or a little tinker there. Where striking, we're going to get, what, two, three decent opportunities a game. They've got to take them to allow what you just talked about, Adam, which is them to, to start getting the little notches in the goals column, which in turn will snowball, I think, with these guys. They strike me as just confidence players, all strikers are, but these guys in particular who are looking to restart their career um, in, the, in the Premier League, it's, 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 a real, it's a real big time for, in a, for a whole host of reasons, and, but a huge call for Cisco this, how he plays it. So it's a big decision on scoring goals... Who's going to be wearing the armband? Because obviously we've mentioned Troy Deeney. He's not here anymore. It does Adam, it's not water that. polo. Don't know where to armbands. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Captaincy. Sorry. Good work. Uh, you literally just picked up, Too the, bad picked jokes. up the, uh, the shocking joke button from Mike. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll pick it up later on in the show. I'll just, just try to think of something as equally as appalling. Anyway, um, the armband. It's a big one. Obviously, we know that Tom Cleverley has done a very, very good job. And he is someone that you can rely on. But I'm just trying to sort of step into a situation now, as we saw at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where he's not starting, potentially, against Wolves. Craig Cathcart might not be starting against Wolves, and he would have been the preferred captain in Cleverley's absence. Does it go to William Trustekong? Does it go to Uri Kutsko, who's carrying bodies with him left, right and centre? Who's the captain? That's the big question. You're, you're talking about the, the matchday captain, it feels like to me there, Adam, who is the matchday captain. But what I loved about the conversation we'd had before about when Troy left it was, it was how you said we need more captains in the team and more voices maybe in the team. When Troy's dominant voice is, is gone, maybe we'll hear more from them all. But, and, but the main the, the, the sort of the points, the questions that came from, from, you know, from, from Twitter was, that they talk about who's the new captain. And I think they're, they're getting those two things almost, they're blurring them. Club captain and who's team the captain. Club captain and who's the, the match day captain. And I sort of think, I know that, that, that it feels like, well, if you're the club captain, then you've got to play. I don't think it necessarily does. It's that, that figure that we talked about with Troy in the community and everything that he was doing that, that needs filling. But I'm not, I'm not worried about having an official announcement this week about, who the new club captain is, I am worried, more like, who's going to be the main captain because, you know, they're the ones who have to get in the ear of the referee. I think the club captain, that sort of ambassadorial role within the dressing room, if you like, I think that that can be picked up, that baton can be picked up by probably the players that Adam's mentioned there. I think Tom Cleverley, Craig Cathcart, perhaps Ben Foster, all the guys that may not be in week in, week out, but will be around the training ground, will almost certainly be in matchday squads. And therefore, setting the standard, I think, is probably what the, the role of that, that club captain, if you like. The, the senior pro, I guess, is the, is the best way of putting it, or senior pros, the one that keep everyone in line, basically, and, and, and set those standards. So I think we've got plenty of 
experience and level-headedness, desire to succeed, desire to do well for Watford in the in the in the group, an understanding of what Watford is, what it is in the community, all that stuff that we're we're so proud of and and keen to protect. So I think that's fine. And I just wonder whether out of left field, whether it might be we've talked about guys who might be slightly have not had the best time of it in their career. Maybe give the armband to one of those guys and say, "Here, look, we trust in you. Help us, lead us. We, this is what we think of you. This is the level we think you're at. This is why we brought you to the club to to, to deliver at a certain level." So maybe someone like Danny Rose, even who yeah. if, if he stakes a claim for the for the team, um, we we saw the outpouring of support from him from from fellow Tottenham colleagues and Tottenham supporters in as much as what he gave to the to the club as a whole. So that shows what he's capable of, whether that's too much too soon for, for someone coming back. But And maybe even someone like Saar, for example, as a reward for his absolutely relentless performances. You know, the guy never gets a, a day off. I mean, it was, it was they didn't play, did he, against Palace in the Cup? And it's like, what?! Where's this Mailer? Someone, you know, it's it's he's notable by his absence. So, but is that more to do with? I actually, I actually went when you said Danny Rose. I went, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, that, imagine what that would do for him and what he would therefore then do and take responsibility for and feel closer to Watford. That that's a great move for, like you say, the match day captain. I just don't think Ishmaela's going to do the role that you need to do, which is to communicate and talk to the referee. You know, not in a in your face way or always in your ear way but you know that sort of communication I think that's where the seniority is almost you know need, is needed for the official duties and actually no I, I'm, I'm all about Danny Rose getting the captaincy just to make him just to get him in get yet another person who is on that pitch who could be the, the captain if 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 Trustacon and and Cleverly aren't aren't on it that relies upon one of the the aspects that we've already discussed in terms of selection falling in the way that maybe the longer term plan is to have Danny Rose starting at left back. But Adam Messina is the left back at the moment and he is a leader himself. He is very, very vocal. He was he was pulling that back four in particular through some difficult moments. I mean, aside from the goal that he scored at Cardiff, I remember, he was brilliant that game. And he is a leader, and I know he's had a, he's had a, a bit of a difficult time. He's made a couple of sort of questionable decisions, but he is also a leader in that dressing room, but also on the pitch as well. And he will be fighting for his place. You know, you know, he's been away with his international team. There's a, there is a good level of things that are at stake for a lot of players in that dressing room, and I think a lot of them a lot of them will be fighting for it. And I, I looked at Tom Cleverley at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and I could tell. He would have been thinking, I don't want to be starting on the bench. I've gone through all of that last season in the championship. I'm going to be fighting for my place. And I think it's it's really good because there's a lot of hunger in there and there's a lot of desire. But also, and we'll end this little section now about the captaincy, we don't quite know. And that's what makes it exciting. And I think that there's it's, it's an, there is a lot of opportunity there for this Watford side, be it to score goals, be it to be captain, to win your place in defence, midfield or attack or whatever it is, in goal as well. There's a lot to fight for. There's a genuine feeling, which is completely different to how it was two seasons ago, that this isn't a stale situation. This is a a vibrant, energetic situation with, with possibilities and that is a great thing to have. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is From the Rookery End. In a moment, we'll be talking about Watford's link-up with uh, Odisha FC. But 
Just wanted to give the floor to Tim Spears, who is our dedicated Wolves reporter on The Athletic, just to just to gauge how they are feeling ahead of their trip to Vicarage Road. Uh, yeah, it's been a really interesting start to season for Wolves. Life under Bruno Large after four years of Nuno, it's, it's already very, very different. Um, Large was brought in, if people don't know much about him, which I wouldn't be surprised at. He's a coach in, in Portugal mostly for, for 20 years, uh, mostly at Benfica where he worked in their academy and then uh, won the title when he became Benfica head coach for a brief period, 18 months. So Wolves is his, is his second job and he's been brought in with a remit really to change the style of football first and foremost. Wolves obviously had huge success under Nuno, finished seventh twice in a row, reached the Europa League quarterfinals, but in the last season the the pandemic season things took a downward curve Wolves finished 13th and really struggled in terms of goals and entertainment and it was really boring to watch and Nuno tried to make Wolves a bit more attacking but couldn't quite manage it seemed to be quite a natural partner ways uh, in the summer so Bruno's come in with a remit of making Wolves exciting and winning at the same time which is obviously not easy so it's been like I said a very interesting start to season I don't think anyone was really expecting too much from the first three games with so many sort of changes to implement and not much time to do it what with the Euros Wolves having quite a few players there and the first three games they had Leicester Spurs and Man United a uh, really tricky start to season. They've lost all three games 1-0, which I think has only happened once in the history of top-flight football, the start of a season. But it's been quite remarkable, really. In If you include the EFL Cup win they had at Nottingham Forest, where they won 4-0, they've had something approaching 100 shots in four matches and somehow haven't managed to score in the Premier League, but they've dominated games for long spells. I mean, they, Adama Traore in particular has been a, a one-man team at times and tore Man United to shreds in the first half and gave Spurs a huge amount of problems and Leicester too. But Wolves just haven't managed to find the back of the net and um, Raul Jimenez easing himself back in after, of course, his his life-threatening fractured skull, which people will remember last November. He's sort of easing himself in, really, and is not fully sharp yet. I mean, he's the man who's going to be charged with scoring the majority of Wolves' goals this season. So there's got to be a, a level of patience there for him to get up to speed. But otherwise, yeah, Wolves just aren't quite firing in front of goal yet, but I think... There's an expectation that if they can replicate their performances from those opening three games against teams who aren't going to be you know, at the top end of the table at the end of the season, like Watford, like Brentford, who they've got next, um, and like Southampton, who they've got after that, then they should start picking up some points, they feel. I mean, their XG figures are excellent. They should have scored five already this season, but as it is, they've got none. So they're threatening to give someone a bit of a hammering, and a lot of fans are hoping it'll come this weekend but then there's the fact that if they don't get a result at Watford the pressure is suddenly massively on if Wolves are in the relegation zone after a a few weeks of the season so um, Watford fans should expect to see Wolves really take the game to Watford they're not going to be sitting deep and counter-attacking like they were under Nuno for the majority of his time at the club and they're due to fire at some point and there should definitely be a fear of Adama Traore because I don't think I've ever seen him produced this level of form before for Wolves he's been absolutely stunning and it'll take two or three men to stop him it's just whether Wolves can finally find the back of the net and as for Watford they'll probably have some joy against Wolves's high line which they're still getting used to after four years of playing very deep under Nuno they now play a high line high press and high intensity as opposed to a low block and low intensity and low running stats under Nuno it's all very different now but they're still trying to perfect that defensive style um, with the same players they haven't signed a senior defender other than 20-year-old Jerson Mosquera. So, yeah, lots to mull over for Wolves and a really interesting game to look forward to on Saturday. Really good to hear from Tim. Thank you, Tim, for that valuable insight. And I think what it gave me in particular was a reminder that Wolves are under pressure as well here. Three, three games, three defeats. So they're kind of up against it to a degree as well. Really, really interesting. We look at it, obviously, through, through a Watford prism. Um, but Wolves will be slightly nervous as well. So I think a good start in this game... An early goal, as is so often the case for Watford, if you score first, they tend to, to perform better. Perhaps even more important in this um, in this fixture, bearing in mind everything Tim said about, about where Wolves are at. In terms of Traore, obviously he hitting his straps, whether it's Messina or Rose, they're going to have a tough afternoon. We've talked about the defence. They're going to need to stand firm. And I don't want to be a soft touch when it comes to Jimenez either. We don't want to kickstart his season. Tim mentioned there that he's easing himself back in. Obviously, we're sympathetic to his plight. We don't want to be the ones that kickstart his season. So a tough defensive challenge lies ahead. But 
let's remember that they're on the they are really up against it as well so we can go into it positive on the front foot and hopefully we can get a result I just wanted to remind you at this point that you can read the words of the likes of Tim Spears and David Ornstein and Oliver Kay and Daniel Taylor all on The Athletic, as well as all the the writing that I do as well, predominantly on Watford. And if you want to subscribe and you haven't done so so far, it'd be great to have you on board. And if you want to get a little bit of money off, which is always nice, you can get a 30% discount at the moment by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and then you can become a subscriber and you'll be able to read the latest piece that I have written which took a little bit of time I must admit because the initial news about uh, Watford's link up with the Indian Super League side Odisha FC dropped I think around about one o'clock the day after deadline day where everyone was sort of waiting and thinking oh Have we signed a free agent? Have we signed a free agent? And then that dropped and everyone sort of goes, oh, okay, sort of interesting, but it's not a new right back. No, but you say interesting. I I saw it and the slightly older gentleman that I am turning into got very cynical about it. You know, you see it, you say, link up with an Indian team. It's just going to be about trying to get a a bunch more followers on social media, selling a few Watford shirts. There's nothing going to be meaningful for me as a Watford fan that I'm going to really connect with. You've done the hard work, Adam. You've done the, the work I would never have done uh, to find out more about this. What, what is, is there going to be a benefit for me or is this purely a benefit that the club will feel somewhere down the line? Because it's only a three-year deal, but I suppose it could be continued. Why should, why should I be excited about it? Well, it's a good question. I don't necessarily know if you directly, John, are going to get something out of this, this um, partnership with Odisha FC. But you might do just simply by that loyalty that comes by being connected with with Watford. For example, if you look towards Italy, you always look out for Udinese's results. I think you're always interested to see what players they have. You might not spend a lot of time on it, but it's something that's connected to Watford. The Watford footballing family is beyond the first team. It's beyond the under-23s, the under-18s, the the women's team as well you know it's it's about having another part of the of the Watford family now look that is that is sort of maybe taking a very rose tinted view on it there is a lot of people and i spoke to sources um who have a lot of experience about a lot of clubs in europe in the uk in particular as well having these links with Indian clubs and treating them very much like you described in a, in a sort of, right, what are you going to do for us? We're going to get access to, you know, 1.3 billion eyeballs in, in India and that's going to really swell our social media following. Yes, we might sell some new shirts and, you know, the sponsors are going to love it because we can say, oh, we've got an Indian football club. There is that side to it, but... There is also a, a warning, specifically from one of the sources that I, that I spoke to, who knows what it's all about, basically saying, if you treat it like that, it will go nowhere and it's not going to benefit you at all. And what I was heartened by and learned a lot about Odisha FC, and I'm, I'm actually really excited to, to find out you know, how they're going to do this season. They had a, a difficult uh, season last season during covid and they were having to operate in a in a bubble they had some issues with their um head coach Stuart Baxter who said some inappropriate things and all this sort of stuff so it was a little bit of a mess last season but they've started this new partnership and it is based over 3 years now Watford they're not going to be you know sending all their players over there and saying you know recruiting players and all this sort of stuff and sort of handing over all the sort of crown jewels to Odisha FC but what the plan is, is to, to help Odisha develop and bring up their standards, bring up their structure and just improve from, from every aspect. Is the three-year thing, I'm looking at it as the wrong way to look at it. Is, it? is it going to be longer and therefore slowly, slowly, catchy monkey, it will become a thing, a bigger thing for them and for us? I think the three-year thing is, is a positive it, it, it because a lot of these link-ups have have come and gone in a flash. Odisha, who previously were known as the the Delhi Dynamos in the ISL, they had a, a link-up with with Feyenoord, 
which lasted for one year. And when they initially announced the the uh, partnership, there was a lot of similar things said. Let's I'll be brutally honest, you know, that this is a start of a great relationship. We're going to be able to sort of share ideas and blah, 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 blah. But it did only last one year. The, the point with this is, this isn't a, a financial heavy agreement. This is a strategic agreement, which you have to sort of look at in, in various different levels, I think. You know, Watford will be able to help with the development. There will also be Odisha being able to engage with um, an Indian audience in the Hertfordshire locality as well, which will be of benefit on the doorstep of, of Watford. Odisha are very, very keen because they've moved to a new region, a sporting region. Weirdly in all of this, I've actually been to Bhuvaneshwar, which is where Odisha are based. When I was covering the cricket, it's one of the places I've actually been and I've travelled sort of all over India. So I've got a real interest in in seeing things work with this with this partnership i think it's actually quite exciting the fans are known as the juggernauts as well oh, which yes. i think is quite which is quite fun um <laughs> so it will sort of give the 1881 a, a, you know a run for their money in terms of, of power and sort of steamrolling over teams and things like that but there is a deeper deeper side to it that if you are gonna you know gain access to india there are opportunities there in terms of investment in the football club longer term so if you are at the table of the ISL, which is a franchise system, which is run by very, very rich people that are backers of, of various different football clubs, if you're in that conversation and you're sort of pressing flesh and you're meeting some bigwigs who are worth a hell of a lot of money, for example, the Ambani family who run the league are some of the, the richest people in the world. You know, their their fortune is worth sort of in the region of like 50 billion pounds. So, you know, there's there are influential people and this is a an influential league in a influential country. So I think it's actually a very savvy thing that Watford are doing. In terms of what potentially might be a more lofty ambition as well, is that there is, you know, we know there's a dearth of... Um, Indian and Asian really footballers coming through making it in in the the big leagues if you like that sounds a bit condescending but but hopefully taken in the spirit is in, in, intended so in terms of trying to raise the profile of footballers who are maybe based in in that region and perhaps developing a pathway and somehow improving the the opportunities for for footballers in the Asian continent then you know that's a very very lofty ambition but if other clubs do follow suit similar things then it could be a great thing for for football as a as a whole as well so perhaps Watford leading the way yet again well it's something to keep an eye on and well the reason it's John finishing the podcast off is because the microphones went weird doesn't matter uh thank you much to Adam for all his input and all the stuff that he does uh, at The Athletic which helped make this Thursday podcast so special we hope it's helping you as Watford fans uh we do the the fan thing on the weekend Adam does this more in-depth uh journalist thing uh, on a Thursday but thank you much to him and thank you much to Mike and we're back after the Wolves game for a podcast where we react to well fingers crossed a Watford win The Athletic.